What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, guys, and welcome to this week's episode of the Mike and Dave Podcast. Uh, This is Dave, and as always, I've got my guy Mike here with me. What's up, everyone? We are on episode three of the Mike and Dave Podcast. So on this week's episode, it's going to have a bit more of a somber note to it. We're going to be saying goodbye to one of our Atlanta sports icons, Julio Jones. Before we get into Julio, we're going to revisit some of the things we said on the last episode as it relates to the NBA playoffs. We're going to look at some of the bold predictions that we made. We're going to talk about some of the other key points that we made last week and how those, how well those aged or how they did not age well. Like you said, we're going to talk about Julio and the likelihood of his departure and how we feel about that. And we are going to, as always, do the hot seat, but this is going to be the most serious hot seat that we have ever done, not just on the podcast, but over four years of doing our radio show in college as well. For sure. So... We're going to start out with throwing it back to last episode where I'm going to now play what my bold prediction was uh, and what I said last week. All right, so now we're going to get to the part of the show where we either look like geniuses or fools at the end of the NBA playoffs. This is the part where we each make a bold prediction. My bold prediction for this 2021 NBA playoffs is... There will be no sweeps in the entire playoffs. So if you've been paying attention to the NBA playoffs, then you would know that my bold prediction was wrong. Now, so far, there's only been one sweep, and that's probably the most surprising outcome of any series so far. With the Bucks sweeping the Heat, I don't think anyone saw that coming. But... I will say, other than that, a bunch of the teams that I think most people might have thought would have gotten swept managed to pull out at least one game. The Wizards, the Celtics, and the Grizzlies all managed to pull out one game. So uh, I was feeling pretty good about it. And then, of course, the Heat couldn't even win one. So there goes my bull prediction down the drain. Speaking of bold predictions that have gone down the drain, we knew going into the NBA playoffs that my bold prediction couldn't be right if yours was right and vice versa. So let's take a look at what I said last time. You know, when the play-in started, I was like, okay, so the Suns are going to face either the Lakers or the Warriors. The Suns are losing the first round, guaranteed. Now they're facing the Lakers. Suns are getting swept. Suns aren't pulling a single game out of this series. Lakers in four. Yeah, about that. So, we are currently talking about the playoffs on Wednesday, June 2nd. At this time, the Suns are up 3-2 to two against the Lakers. And clearly, I did not see that coming. But... I'm going to address the moment that I knew I was going to be wrong. Game one, first quarter, 
DeAndre Ayton gets the ball. And let me tell you, this man took it to Anthony Davis. I'm talking old school post play, back that man down, scored on him in the paint. And it was just that, back to back. DeAndre Ayton has looked bigger, stronger, and frankly, more determined to win this series than Anthony Davis does. And I understand Anthony Davis is being injured. I'm not holding that against him. But I'm talking from the very beginning of this series, DeAndre Ayton has been the better big man, the more imposing big man. And you know what? I'm going to say that that applies to Andre Drummond as well. DeAndre Ayton has been better than Drummond. Devin Booker has played well. I mean, he's scoring like 26 with five rebounds, five assists in that ballpark over the course of the series. Chris Paul has been good. But Ayton, to me, was like the big, you know, it's his first, I mean, it was Booker's first playoff series as well. But Ayton didn't exactly have a great regular season. So going into the playoffs, I was like, okay, well, you're about to face off against Anthony Davis, who, when healthy, is arguably the best big man in basketball but certainly top three, you know, how are you going to step up to that? And he stepped up in a major way. So I knew right from the, like right when I saw that start to happen, Suns are going to get at least a game, but at this point they're up three to two. They might just straight up beat the Lakers. And we also talked about people under pressure as well. And two of the guys we mentioned were Chris Paul and Devin Booker and Chris Paul's dealt with an injury, but for the most part, He's still played to that level that we expect. Devin Booker's probably played better than the two of us were expecting. And then here comes Aiton, obviously the number former number one overall pick. He comes out and outplays Anthony Davis. Interestingly enough, his worst game of the series so far was game five when Anthony Davis didn't play. It was almost like he was like, oh, okay, I can just take my foot off the gas when AD's not in here. But yeah, that... That series has been pretty interesting. We'll see if the Suns can end up closing it out. I also want to talk about some players that we highlighted as X-Factors going into the playoffs. So if you would be so kind, can you play back who I said would be the number one X-Factor in the playoffs? I sure can. My number one. Not that he's my number one because of this. Sure. Oh, no, no. My favorite player in basketball, Jimmy Butler. The Heat go where Jimmy Butler goes. So I said that the Heat would go where Jimmy Butler goes. And they did. They went right into the dirt. Before I go on, I said this last time. I'm going to say it again. Jimmy Butler is my favorite player, so I take no joy in saying this. Jimmy Butler did not look like he could be the best player on a championship team if I were basing that on this series. Compared to last year, where he led his team to the finals, and in several games in the finals against the Lakers, he absolutely looked like he could be the best player on a championship team. And it's leaving me going, you know, it's been a year. What happened? Because now I'm questioning, can you be the second best? 
or at least I can understand why others would. I still believe in my heart that Jimmy Butler could be the best on a championship team, but let's just say this series did not prove it. And just to put a number to that, 14.5 points per game is what Jimmy Butler averaged this series, which is third on his team behind Bam Adebayo and Goran Dragic. And that's just, obviously, it's not doing it. You got swept by the Bucks. This was supposed to be like the rematch we were anticipating after what happened last year. And we understood that the Bucks were more like well-constructed than they were last year. But swept? Jimmy, come on. What was that? Yeah, that was definitely a surprise, I think, to pretty much everybody. So let's go ahead and play back what I had to say last time. Now we've gone to my number one player, the guy who I think is going to have potentially the most impact on how the playoffs shake out. And that guy is none other than Donovan Mitchell for the Utah Jazz. And in my opinion, Donovan Mitchell is going to be the reason, either the reason why the Jazz potentially make the finals or the reason why they don't. My guy, Donovan Mitchell, making me sound like I know what I'm talking about. So it turns out that Donovan Mitchell was held out of game one and which game of the series did the Grizzlies win? Game one. Donovan Mitchell comes back for game two. The Jazz win. Donovan Mitchell leads the team in points. Same thing game three. Same thing game four. So now the Jazz are up three to one. Donovan Mitchell has led his team in scoring each of those three games and his scoring has actually gone up in each game that he's played as well. So I expect the Jazz to go ahead and finish off the Grizzlies. And once again, we're recording this on Wednesday night. And we'll see how far the Jazz can go in these playoffs. So far, with Donovan Mitchell, you could argue that they look like the team to beat, other than the Bucks, who of course did manage to sweep the heat in convincing fashion. Last year's first round series between the Jazz and the Nuggets was a historically great first round series. Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray going at it. Donovan Mitchell just returned to that form. Like you said, once he came in, Grizzlies haven't had a chance. Donovan Mitchell has been, like you like you said he would be, the X Factor. So yeah, so that's going to wrap up this segment. And we're going to go into the next segment and say our goodbyes to one of the greats, Julio Jones. So if you've been listening to any news surrounding the Falcons over the past several weeks, heck, months, then you know that there have been rumors about Julio Jones potentially being traded. Well, in an interview with Shannon Sharp, a week and a half ago, Julio Jones said, yeah, I'm out of there. So it has come out like he is going to be traded. We don't know to whom yet, but we know a deal is underway. And we've had rumors circulating about a few different teams that we, we're going to talk about. But as Falcons fans, I know that this is like a tough moment to have to say goodbye to a player that's been our best player. 
for the majority of his career. Yeah, and not just the not just our best player, but at least in my opinion, and yes, I'm biased, but also the stats back it up. I mean, arguably the best receiver since he's been in the league. Uh, this is a guy who is looked at as the standard for wide receivers of this generation and a guy who, when he's healthy and he's right, you just can't cover. And we had the privilege of watching Julio pretty much every season. This this past season was a tough one with his injuries, but um, even then when, when he was on the field, just a difference maker. And also not a guy who, like Odell Beckham or any of these other receivers who make more headlines off the field than on them. This is really the first time in Julio's entire career where he's had these type of headlines surrounding him. And at this point, I I kind of don't blame Julio for, for this happening. And that's twofold. Number one, because the Falcons are in a position to seriously compete for a championship anymore. And Julio's at the point, and I think last year was a great example. He's not as young as he used to be. His body can't take the punishment like it used to. And I think he knows that. And he wants to go to a place as he's closing out his career where he has more of a chance to win that Super Bowl. And if you remember back to Super Bowl 51, where the Falcons obviously lost, Julio was not the issue. Julio made one of the great catches in Super Bowl history in that game. And he's just been remarkably consistent over his whole career in the big moments, just getting first downs, obviously being a red zone threat, you name it. He's been Matt Ryan's best friend. Um, and it's going to be tough seeing him wear a different team's jersey. It's going to be weird. And the Braves, the the Falcons, the Hawks, like we don't have a lot of those generational talents, those absolute superstars in Atlanta too often. Um, and considering, you know, we traded up and drafted him, that ended up working out really well for us. And it'll just be a shame to, to lose a guy like him who, number one, has been a team first guy pretty much his whole career. And number two is, is a guy who's easy to root for and also one of the most talented players of his generation. Like you said, consummate professional, right? Never has negative headlines. He's not a diva at all. Like, Never has these like on or off field meltdowns. Super professional, like you said, easy to root for. And a baller. I can't think of, I mean, unless you want to say like his rookie year or something. But in any of his like legitimate seasons, I can't think of one where he wasn't like clear top three. Often the top guy. When you combine like hands, physical attributes, um, being a threat inside and out. I haven't listed these out on paper, but top 10 receiver all time, possibly top five. This is like, you said generational talent, like this is one of the all time grades. So it definitely hurts to see him go. Now we have like six teams that have been floated the most as far as like the rumors go for where he might be headed. And that's the Seahawks, the Patriots, the 49ers, the Rams, the Titans, and the Ravens. 
Now, I will say ESPN's Kimberly Martin said today on Get Up that the Ravens is not happening. She pretty much said, like, guarantee that's not going to happen. Now, how reliable that source is, we don't know, but for someone to come out and say it is not happening makes me lean towards believing that. With those other five teams in mind, Dave, if you're GM of the Falcons, if you're Terry Fontenot, what kind of package are you looking for as compensation for Julio Jones? If I'm trying to trade with you, what do I need to give you to get Julio? So I know that originally the Falcons were looking for a first rounder in return for Julio. Um, And there was a report out there saying that they did have an offer of a first rounder for him. Whether or not that's accurate, we don't know. I would still kind of hold true to that and see. I think some of the leverage that the Falcons have had in those talks has gone down some, especially after Julio came out and said that he's out of there. Um, Everyone knows that the Falcons have a tough cap situation right now. And that's one of the major reasons why on the Falcons end that they would trade someone like Julio is because the previous regime with Thomas Dimitrov, they signed a lot of players to a lot of big deals. And those players have kind of been some good, some, some not so good. And Julio's contract is a pretty big one. I think over $20 million, uh, each, each season, clearing that would do a lot for, number one, us being able to sign our rookies, because right now we don't even have enough money to do that. Uh, number two, looking at guys moving forward who, who need extensions, like Grady Jarrett, for instance, uh, who's been <laughs> like the only solid, reliable star defensive player that we've, that we've had. Yeah, it's going to be, and Calvin Ridley's due for an extension as well. We have to resign him if we're trading Julio. So yeah, it, it kind of has to happen. So I'm looking for not taking any salary back. So potentially we could trade for a different player, but it would, I, I just don't think that that's realistic. I think it just needs to be picks. And, you know, maybe if it's, Maybe it's not just a straight up first rounder for Julio. Maybe it's a first rounder for Julio, and then we throw in like a fifth rounder or something like that. Um, I would go that route, and then if no teams are willing to bite on that, then maybe a second rounder, and then like a late, you know, a late round pick, like a fifth or sixth, something like that, to get the deal done. Um, right now, I would just not be looking to take on any more salary, and if any team is asking the Falcons to eat some of that money, then that's an immediate no. Because that's really the only reason, other than Julio also wanting out, like, it's just a salary cap thing. And the Falcons backed themselves into this corner, and now Terry Fontenot's got to work some magic and get them out of that tight corner. I couldn't agree more with what you're saying about the salary part. Like, this is... We need to be able to clear cap room. That is like priority number one here. That and like getting something for Julio. It's crazy to me that there are teams going, yeah, we don't know if he's worth a first rounder because of like injury when the reality is last season was like the only major injury he's ever had. Otherwise, he's always played at least like 14 games. And then they're going to say like age, he's 32. I think he turns 32 this year. When they say he's not a first round pick, 
if you get, let's just say, three more years of Julio being an upper-tier wide receiver, that is great value. And the thing about a first-round pick, I know it is like a first-rounder, but those aren't guaranteed. There is a long list of first-round picks not working out. A first-round pick, like any other draft pick, is a gamble. You're just hoping that that player will work out. You know what you're going to get from Julio on and off the field. And the fact that we've got at least these five teams interested, right? Any team should be interested in Julio, first of all. But the teams that we listed, the Seahawks, the Patriots, the 49ers, the Rams, the Titans... Adding Julio to any of those teams seriously increases their chances of making a Super Bowl push this year. That, to me, is worth... Like, if I'm the GM of any of those teams, to me, that's worth the first rounder. Especially if you're, like, looking at the Titans. That team did really well last year and the year before. They have Derrick Henry. If you get a superstar wide receiver to take some of that pressure off him... Like, those two support each other really well in that regard, taking pressure off of each other. You already have a good defense. Or well, And A.J. Brown. And A.J. Brown. I mean, A.J. Brown had a Pro Bowl season last year. He was amazing. There's really no way, because he's also you know a major physical presence too, like, there's no way that you can really cover both of those types of guys. Because um, in order to do so, you've got to have two big corners who also have the speed. I mean, there aren't that many quarterbacks out there who can cover both of those guys. And then, like you said, if they try to double them, what are you going to do? Just not have, like, play nickel all day or dime when you've got Derrick Henry in the backfield? Like, that's not going to happen. Then you look at a team like the Seahawks. They already have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Like, those are two extremely talented players as well. You add Julio, you have to cover DK Metcalf, this absolute unit, and then Julio, and then Tyler Lockett, who's just going to stretch the defense and is a very underrated player, in my opinion. Like, that's crazy. And then you got Russell Wilson throwing to him. Even like the Rams, you know, Stafford's there now. Robert Woods is a great receiver. Cooper Cup's a great receiver. And then you and then you have that actual X receiver in Julio Jones where you can keep Cooper Cup or Robert Woods in the slot, you know, and and have kind of the more of the possession receiver with Robert Woods and then have that red zone threat of Julio. Like, all those teams, it's just, it just makes the receiver room even stronger, even harder to, to cover. And then it's like the Patriots, like Cam Newton or, uh, or Mac Jones, depending on who ends up playing. Like, who are they throwing to right now? Like Jacoby Myers or something? I, they did get Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith, so they got the tight ends. But like adding Julio to that mix, all of a sudden, that makes the Patriots a lot scarier. And we already know that there's a lot there's a lot of reason to be scared of the Patriots anyway. You add Julio to that mix, and all of a sudden their offense becomes way more dynamic. So yeah, it's just the the impact that he could have on teams that are looking to contend, like that could really put you over the top. And realistically, a a Super Bowl is hard to win, but if you can add that piece, that missing piece, then surely that's worth your first round pick, which like you said, is a gamble. It's, It's very valuable, but 
it is a gamble. And Julio, at this point in his career, just wants to go somewhere where where he can win. If you're the GM of a team that has any sort of realistic chances or aspirations of pushing for that Super Bowl, you owe it to not only the fans, but the players on your team to show that you're interested and invested in winning. And to me, that's worth the first rounder. It's hard to say for the Falcons right now, but if the Falcons were in a situation where like, okay, we are one piece away from being in legitimate contention, I would feel slighted if RGM didn't pull the trigger on it. Like, go for broke. We have a chance. Like, we have a solid team established right now. With the Rams, we didn't even talk about like defense, right? They have half the side, half the ball, like covered, and they have the weapons that you alluded to, and adding Julio to that. Like, I think the Rams are the best. Well, and the Titans. The, to me, those are the two are, that are like the best fit in my mind. Well, also, the Rams. Like, when is the last time they actually drafted somebody in the first round? They always trade their first rounder away, and I don't. I don't, I'm not sure if they have a first rounder for next year. I think that may have gone in the Stafford trade. I'm not positive of that. Um, I know the Seahawks don't have a first rounder next year either. So that kind of makes things more difficult on, on that end. I don't know if the Falcons would take a first rounder two years from now or not. Yeah, the, the Rams, it would make a lot of sense because they've kind of gone with that strategy of instead of risking it for a player who might be really good and on a cheap contract we're going to take a known commodity and build around them so it's just an interesting way of building a team not necessarily the right way or the wrong way but it's kind of a a new approach that we've seen from them sort of makes me think of when the celtics like way back when when they went out and they got kevin garnett and they got ray allen on the same side of it you have like when they traded those when they traded Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett to the Nets. Like we have two different examples of teams like in sacrificing draft capital to take proven stars. In the case of the Celtics getting Garnett and Ray Allen, that worked really well. They became front runners for several years. But then when they went to Brooklyn, that completely fell apart. So it's absolutely a gamble. But like I said, in my mind, it's one you got to take, especially for Julio. So the Rams actually don't have a first round pick until 2024. They traded, interestingly enough, they're poised to go seven consecutive years without a first rounder. 2017, they traded as part of the package to move up and trade or and draft Jared Goff. Next year, it was for Brandon Cooks. The next year, they, they moved down in the draft. Then they traded two first-rounders for in 2020 and 2021 for Jalen Ramsey. Then Stafford, 2022 and 2023, both of their first-rounders for him. So if the Falcons are dead set on a first-rounder, then the Rams probably aren't going to be an option. Just kind of wrap to wrap this conversation up, if you had to pick one landing spot for Julio that you think it would be a great fit for Julio and also a great fit for the team, who would you choose? I'm going Tennessee. You talked about AJ Brown, and I want to focus in on their offense for the past several seasons has just, 
I mean, not to understate A.J. Brown, but more or less it's been give the ball to Derrick Henry and let him carry us to victory. When you can take pressure off of him with the dynamic duo that would be A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, not even to mention the comeback season that Ryan Tannehill just had, with a good defense and a good O-line, Titans are going to be my number one. Yeah, and I, I think that the Titans are a good spot for him, like I mentioned before with A.J. Brown, and then you got Derrick Henry as well. Tannehill's been throwing the ball pretty well, and you know they would love to add Julio to that that team as well as a veteran guy, as a as a leader as well in the locker room. And Derrick Henry also posted that that tweet like a few days ago about Titan up regarding uh, relating to Julio. Like t- uh, Derrick Henry wants him there, so there wouldn't be a a conflict of I hate to say conflict of ego because it's not like Julio is that kind of guy, but a conflict of interest in terms of who's getting the ball and everything because Derrick Henry wants him there. Julio wants to win. Well, AJ Brown also posted a TikTok of him like pleading his case to to Julio for why he should go to Tennessee. It was a little bit cringy, but like still it was, you know, it shows that he wants him there. Yeah, I, I think Tennessee would be a, a good a good choice. I think the Patriots may not be close enough to real contention. We talked about the Rams not having the picks. So Seattle could be another decent option, but they they gotta fix their defense. Like their offense wasn't really the problem last year they need to figure out how to run the ball again and and fix their defense i think julio would just be like kind of just trying to paper over some of the holes on that roster so that wraps up our conversation about julio uh once again thank you julio for everything we love you in atlanta we will always love you no hard feelings we know that the falcons suck you know that the falcons suck it is what it is we're sorry we let you down in the super bowl yeah Exactly. Um, But either way. So next segment, we're going to be doing the hot seat, and it's going to be a little bit different, so stick around. All right. So we're going to go ahead and get into our hot seat, which we usually reserve for, you know, an athlete doing or saying something stupid, which ends up being funny, and it's a good time just putting that athlete on blast. Uh, Oh, he said this ridiculous thing on Twitter or he made this comment about the fan, you know, whatever it is. This week, we want to take a look at some more serious issues because some stuff has come up in the last two weeks that we feel like we should talk about. So first thing we want to talk about is the behavior of some of the fans at the NBA playoff games. This started with a fan throwing popcorn at Russell Westbrook as he was leaving the game with an injury in, I think, game one of that series with the Sixers. We've seen a fan at Madison Madison Square Garden spit on Trey Young. We've had a fan making racist remarks in Utah at John Morant's family. Not even one, multiple groups that were all separate, all making those those remarks at his family. Yeah, that that's right. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, we've had a fan 
throw a water bottle at Kyrie Irving as he was leaving in Boston. And we had a fan run onto the court in Washington. Where to start with this? I think the first thing I'm going to say is just, you know, we we had COVID, right? And so we had the bubble last year, and we had mostly empty arenas for the majority of the regular season. And so the fact that we're getting fans back in the stands for the playoffs should be a beautiful thing. It should be bringing back something fantastic about sports, right? Seeing, like, having the fans there adds a new dimension to it. Like, just looking at March Madness this year just seemed so lackluster comparatively because there were no, like, fan um, responses to everything. But some of these fans are wasting that, and it's making me look at it like, should we even have y'all here? Should we go back to the bubble? Because this is getting outrageous. Yeah, and what's and we kind of see this all the time uh, in a lot of different places in life. Even is a few people ruining it for everyone. And I I want to point out that this is probably a group of like ten people, ten to fifteen people total, who have been acting out and acting this way at these games. And yet that's kind of painting a bunch of the fans in this negative light. And I want to say, you know, I know that it's, this is just a very small portion of the population that's acting this way. Most people who go to these games would never think of throwing popcorn at an injured player or spit spitting on someone like i'm sorry you don't do that first of all second of all it's covid so you really don't do that like that's just i mean that's just nasty but also it's just that's kind of one of those rules you just don't spit on people like they teach you that when you're like five you know or younger even i don't have a kid so i don't know exactly what age but you know it's like really young and for me these people are acting out and what are the repercussions a lifetime ban from the arena i mean sure that's an inconvenience but where are the actual repercussions where's the actual punishment i mean if you walk up to somebody on the street and spit on them or throw a water bottle at them or say a bunch of racist remarks like I feel like the the consequences are going to be different, but because it's an arena and because you're doing it to this player, it's like they're not a real person. It's like it's not like a real scenario. And I think that the punishments need to be harsher to teach people a lesson. Like you can't just do whatever you want just because you paid for a seat in this arena. A couple things. Number one, I do want to give a little credit. In the incident in Boston, the fan that threw the bottle at Kyrie Irving. One, we had other fans around him quick to point out who it was. And I think that's important that there are other people like not letting him be lost in the crowd instead saying like, it's him, it's him. We're not going to be lumped in with this. Make him be, um, 
make him take responsibility for that. And he was arrested. And I, well, I don't know if he's still there. He was put in jail, which is good. The spitting, Trey Young decided not to press charges. But especially in a time of COVID, like that's dangerous. But that's also very dehumanizing, which brings me to another point. Kevin Durant's tweet where he said, this isn't a circus. It's almost like they're treating it more like, I mean, a circus or even a zoo where like they go somewhere and they're thinking like, well, the the players are going to be restrained, right? When I When I throw something at Russell Westbrook, he's going to be held back from coming into the stands because they don't want another malice at the palace. And so I, I can do that without fear of Russell Westbrook himself coming and like physically attacking me, which to your point about like, this isn't like how it would go down on the streets. (laughs) That guy would not last five seconds in an altercation with Russell Westbrook. Dude probably wouldn't have lasted against Trey Young or Kyrie Irving. These are pro athletes, but there's something about they're paying money, like you said, into this to get into this arena that gives them this supposed feeling of invulnerability. Max Kellerman said it best. When you when you enter an arena, you aren't leaving civilization. The rules of society still apply and you still have to go in and act like a civilized human being. And the idea that there are no legitimate repercussions for that is absurd to me. And it's dehumanizing to these players who are like trying to entertain, right? This basketball is entertainment. They're not below you at all. The, the fact that we're treating them, and by, I say we, the fact that fans are... T- treating them as subhuman. And that goes also to what you're saying about like, it's the few that create this like bad image of the whole, but fans are flagrantly mistreating these players in a way that may very well ruin it for everybody. We can kind of go down this route too, like with guys like the Falcons, Hayden Hurst, um, Dak Prescott's talked about it. Um, DeMar DeRozan's talked about it, Kevin Love, about mental health. And we forget sometimes that celebrities, not just athletes, celebrities, but we'll just talk about athletes for this conversation. Like, they're living out their lives on a stage, on a national stage, where their every move is filmed, on the court at least, even off the court, people will see them and they're like, oh, there's Bradley Beal or whoever. Like, I'm a video it or, you know, whatever. And they got paparazzi following around everywhere. And a lot of these guys have a lot of stuff going on in their lives. Like Damian Lillard, like he's lost so many family members this year. And it's been really hard for him to be able to separate that from his play on the court. And even though these players live lives that most of us could only imagine of living that doesn't mean that they're not human still and that we shouldn't treat them with respect i mean the whole reason we're going in the first place is because they're doing something way better than we can that we wish we could do so like 
I, I feel like at the very least we should be giving them the respect that they deserve. Um, not just because they're professional athletes and really good at what they do, but also just because they're human beings and we should all just treat each other with, with respect. And no matter what your status is, no matter who you are, how much power you have, what you look like, any of that stuff, everyone should be treated with respect. And that's what these fans don't seem to understand. And like I said before, if it's not stopped, then what's next? You know what I mean? Like someone spitting on somebody. Okay. Someone throwing a water ball at somebody. Okay. But like you, you referenced malice at the palace. Like that's iconic, but not in a good way. Like you, you never know what could end up going down. And I think that they really need to crack down on this fan behavior before things really get out of control and it becomes a really ugly scene like Malice of the Palace was. And I want to reference one other thing that Kevin Durant alluded to, which was the idea of if the shoe were on the other foot. And you mentioned these players being under a microscope. When when you think about the Malice of the Palace, you got Ron Artest, you got Ben Wallace. Like These are the names we remember from that, the athletes. We don't know the name of the guy that through through stuff at Ron Artest in the first place to initiate it. But he caused it. That guy is the reason this happened. And so what I'm thinking is like, Russell Westbrook was almost through the tunnel with the popcorn incident. And he tried to like, like once that happened, he tried to like go back and address it, but he was held back. If Russell Westbrook gets through Right, and he actually gets into the stands to, to put it loosely, interacts with that fan. Then, like, what happens with Russell Westbrook? Does he end up facing a suspension or what? And in that case, like, for something that he didn't even initiate, and that's something like at school, right? They they teach you, um, you know, if someone starts hitting you then don't retaliate. But like, realistically, you have to f- stick up for yourself or like, who who else is going to stick up for you? You know? And it ends up being both people end up getting in trouble even though one person started it. So, yeah, I agree. Um, fans just kind of, they know that that's going to happen. They know that there's, that they're going to be restrained. But, that doesn't mean that what they're doing is right. And I really feel for the, for the athletes who just at the end of the day, they just want to go out there. They want to play basketball and they want to put on a show for the fans. And it just sucks that the, that the few are making all of us seem like we don't know how to act. Like our parents never taught us how to act in a, you know, in a social setting, you know, or just, be respectful. So yeah, it's just kind of, it's just kind of a tough situation. And I'm, I'm curious to see if the NBA comes out with anything addressing this moving forward. And if we see any more incidents, cause this is just from the first round alone, like only five or six games have been played in each series so far. And we already have like five incidents that have happened. So yeah, I don't know. I will say, though, too, um, 
So the owner of the Jazz, Ryan Smith, I believe is what his name is, um, he actually ended up providing complimentary courtside tickets and lodging and everything uh, for John Moran's family after what happened. Um, and, you know, apologize on behalf of the Utah Jazz organization and, and all the fans and everything. And obviously condemned what the, the abuse that they were receiving. So definitely credit to him for stepping in. And this is his first season as their owner as well. So that's really setting an example, not just for yourself, but for your entire franchise, for your entire fan base in the city of, of saying like, we're not going to tolerate this. And we want to, you know, we're competing, but we're humans and we need to respect our opponents as well. I completely agree. That was like big that Ryan Smith did that for sure. Um, And other owners should follow suit. Um, Take James Dolan from the Knicks. Like that man is always 10 steps behind, you know, it's the least you could do. Um, And not to put too fine a point on this, but I think it's easy to look at what's going on in the NBA and say, like, it's not that applicable to everyday life because we're talking about millionaires who get paid a ton of money to play a game, right? Well, we have day jobs. Um, if I'm in the middle of teaching a class and someone comes in and throws a water bottle at me. And we won't even use that example, actually, because that man was arrested. If someone comes in and spits on me, I'm going to do more than say, get out of the class. Like, that person will be arrested. Like, period. If someone comes in and throws popcorn at me, yeah, like, that's, we're going to go, that's insane. Why, like, this is a college campus. Why are you doing that? Or if you're working at, at Burger King and you're taking someone's order and someone comes and does this, it's more than just being banned from Burger King. There are actual repercussions for it. And I think it's irresponsible to say that people get a pass because they're famous athletes. Instead, we should look at this like in any line of work. How would this disrespect be treated? Now, with that being said, there's another issue that is prevalent in everyday life, but we're seeing it again in the sports world. Most recently, just a few days ago, and I'm going to let Dave talk about what what went down. Yeah, so unfortunately, um, Marcelo Zuna who is an outfielder for the Atlanta Braves. Um, He recently signed a contract extension with the Braves after last season where uh, he played really well and was a big part of of that Braves team, both on the field and off the field um, with his clubhouse presence and everything, just generally being looked at as a uh, a fun-loving type of guy. Uh, a good guy in the clubhouse, etc. Unfortunately, um, he was arrested earlier this week after police officers in Sandy Springs, which is a suburb of Atlanta, 
They responded to a 911 call and arrived at the house and witnessed Ozuna grabbing his wife by the neck and throwing her against a wall, as well as striking her with a cast on his left hand. And he was then arrested, afterwards released from jail after posting a $20,000 bond on charges of aggravated assault by strangulation and battery against his wife. So this is obviously very upsetting news. Um, Domestic violence, whether it's a baseball player or someone down the street or, you know, someone you've never met, like... Of course, it's a horrible thing and should never be tolerated and should never happen. Um, It's also really hard to see when someone who you cheer for on pretty much a daily basis and someone who is being paid to, in some ways, represent an organization and also represent a city and represent a team and um, his teammates as well. And for a guy like this to be, again, who was viewed as this great clubhouse guy, um, for this to come out, it's just, it's really upsetting news. And it really kind of shines a light on domestic violence just among the general population. uh, Because I think a lot of the time, and this is also unfortunate as well, but We see this in sports a decent amount. And I don't think that athletes per se are like more likely to be guilty of this than regular people. I just think because they're, they're on that stage, they're under a microscope. um, It's just brought to light more often. And it's just heartbreaking to see stories like this come out. And it's just, it just makes you really think, you know, we, we, we mentioned earlier about the players being people and everyone being human. And unfortunately, that has a dark side to it as well of, yeah, they're players and yes, they play baseball for a living. And yes, they might have some issues going on in other parts of their life that we don't know about. But when it comes to something like this, it just really, uh, you know, breaks my heart. I want to be very clear that, like, I get what you're saying about him representing the city and, like, him being someone to cheer for, like, and everything. So I'm not, like, going against that. But I don't... I tend to lose respect for fans and I'm not saying you're doing this at all but when fans seem to put that as being secondary to a player's performance and saying like oh yeah well like he's still Azuna and so he's still gonna like go out and ball out or whatever I don't give a damn if it's on my team my rival team any team this is shitty and I want to see more than just he went to jail and then posted bond. I want to see far more 
consequence for this. Um, because it's it goes back to what we were saying about the fans and the stands in the NBA games. The incentive to not do something is to see that that behavior is punished. My first reaction when when you actually told me about this story wasn't like, I hate to say it, I wasn't too surprised and it's not about Azuna, but it's, it's just this like exhaustion. Like I think about Chad Wheeler. That was only like a few months ago, right? Like January. It's really not that rare that we see an athlete do this. And the thing about it is like, we see it every few months from athletes where a story like this will break. This is a daily thing. So it seems frequent and prevalent, like I'm saying, in sports. But that's just scratching the surface of the reality that we're, that we're living in. Yeah, and I will say that Ozuna could definitely... I mean, this is a felony charge. Um, so I'm sure that he'll have to go to court and and all of this will happen. So that's that's the whole, the whole legal side. As far as the Major League Baseball side is concerned, uh, they have a domestic violence policy um, that's in place between Major League Baseball and the Players Union as well. So he could face a long suspension um, from Major League Baseball for doing this. In my opinion, just ban him. Say that he can never play, like, obviously like obviously, don't pay him. Uh, revoke the rest of his contract and make it so that he can never play Major League professional baseball ever again. If these players, you know, obviously, for the most part, they love baseball. That's why they're doing it. Also, this is how they're providing for themselves and for their families. And you shouldn't have to do this. But like at some point, maybe you just need to make an example and say like, we aren't going to stand for this anymore. A long suspension isn't going to cut it. Uh, anyone who's a part of our league, who's a part of our organization, we're not going to tolerate this. So yeah, we're going to ban you. And you're going to have to find some other way of earning money or providing for your family or, or whatever the case might be. And, you know, guess what? If you have a history of domestic violence or assault or a felony charge that was on you, like for normal people, which he would then become because all of a sudden he doesn't get to be put on this pedestal anymore and play a game for a living. For millions of dollars like for normal people if you have a felony on your name even if it gets dismissed for which i don't want to say this but i will famous people get special treatment and that's just that's just a fact like i don't know what's going to happen with this case but it would not surprise me at all to just see it get dismissed or get settled out of court or whatever the case might be and of course these rich and famous people also have enough money to just post a $20,000 bond and not be that big of a deal. And to, you know, to pay whatever type of fine or whatever the case might be. But is that, if you really want to hit them where it hurts, 
then, like I said, ban them from baseball. Take away, and I, you know, I don't know what else Marcelo Ozuna knows how to do, but like, take take that away from him, and hopefully that will teach him a lesson and other people as well. Like, this isn't to- like we will not tolerate this. There's not just a, a a slap on the on the wrist, or you know, you sit out for a season or two. Like, this is serious, and the consequences need to match the crime. And for me, like putting your hands on your wife or your kid or anyone else, like, you just don't do that. Whether that's you know a man, a woman, anyone. I'm just talking about as a man, because that's, you know, who I am, like, you just don't do that to to someone. Like, you control your temper. You have respect for, obviously, your family, but, like, anyone, really. And not being able to control yourself, like, that's something that you need to figure out how to do. And um, that's just, like, the number one rule, is you don't put your hands on somebody. So... Um, it's a, it's a real shame to see this happen, uh, especially when it's a guy who is on a team that you cheer for. It just hurts even that even little bit more just because I think you go into it just thinking like, oh, these guys are probably really nice. You know, you just see them smiling, having fun on TV. And like I said, playing a game for a living. And then this is that dark side of sports that gets exposed sometimes and, um, it's it really is just sad to see, and I I hope that the Braves don't continue to employ him, and it would be a real shame if another team and this has happened in the excuse me it has happened in the past by the way of I can't remember what his name was but there was a a pitcher who was convicted of charged with domestic violence domestic abuse got released and then was picked up by of course the Astros who sold their soul to win the World Series by cheating and then also they decided well let's also just employ a guy who's been guilty of domestic violence just because we don't really care you know like I hope that no other big league teams give him a chance because I'm just tired of it at this point of of guys getting second third fourth chances when doing something like that, in my mind, is inexcusable. I want to bring up one other name in this because I think it applies indirectly to what we've been talking about. Colin Kaepernick. I don't want to get into the whole political aspect of what his stance is. That's not the point. Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the anthem and made a political statement in doing so. Right. And as a result of that, he is not playing football. The owners of the NFL teams decided it's not, you're not worth the drama that you're going to bring by being so politically polarizing. Right. So as a result, Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job. There's a long list of players in the NFL. And I don't know as much about baseball, but you could speak more to that. But I know in the NFL, there are plenty of players 
that have gotten in trouble for um, physically assaulting their wives, girlfriends, children, etc., and are back on NFL rosters. You have, and whether or not these players like did as well, you had like Ray Rice return to football, Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill. This is different from what we've mentioned so far. Michael Vick went to prison, then the NFL welcomed him back with open arms as soon as he got out. And the reason I bring Kaepernick up in this is because owners decide we're not going to put you on a team because you're going to be polarizing enough that the fans aren't going to give us enough support to make it worth it economically to have you on the roster. Fans don't give a damn about if you've been convicted or um, found guilty of domestic violence. The fact of the matter is, if fans took an active enough stance and said, no, we're not going to accept that, we're not going to tolerate that, we're not going to continue to support a team that brings on players that do this, no, that we're done. Then this wouldn't happen. I'm just going to use Michael Vick as an example. If... If everyone was like, he went back to the Eagles. If Eagles fans were like, no, we're not going to the games. You brought in Michael Vick. He did a horrible thing. We're not coming to your games. We're not supporting him. The Eagles would have to say, okay, our bad. We're not going to put this out there. But we see what they choose to draw, a like where they choose to draw their line. And I want us to be drawing a line here that this is not acceptable at all. It's just one of those situations where everyone just gets so consumed with winning. And winning is the only thing that matters. But it's not. If you have to compromise your morals, if you have to cheat, if you have to employ criminals, then no, it's not worth it. Because at a certain point, like you have to look yourself in the mirror I understand that they're under a lot of pressure, right? Like all these people, all this is playing out on this on this big stage and all these people have their parts to play. And there's a lot of pressure on them to see results. But at a certain point, who cares about the results? You know, like you and I love sports more than pretty much anything. Like sports is a huge part of our lives and something that if I didn't have sports anymore, like that would be a really difficult thing for me, but it would never like, I would be okay with sports not being in my life anymore. If it, if it meant that like domestic violence didn't happen and like these, these types of things didn't occur. Cause like, at the end of the day, it's just a game. It's just a bunch of grown men playing a kid's game. And it's entertainment. And I don't want the people entertaining me to be that that type of person. You know, I don't want to be supporting that. And so it's just, it's just tough to see. So that's why as a lifelong Braves fan, and I'm not just going to be sitting here just saying like, just saying all this stuff and then continue to support the Braves and be a hypocrite, right? Like if the Braves don't like they if we look into this and Ozuna is guilty and the Braves continue to keep him around, then like I'm going to really have to look at it and say is this an organization that I can really support? 
if they're going to support somebody like this. I, I don't know. So I'm hoping that the Braves will do the right thing and that the courts will do the right thing and that Major League Baseball will do the right thing and not allow him to come back. I respect that, and I completely agree. And when you spend your whole life rooting for a team, it's not like, oh, yeah, let me just turn that off. It, Even though like sports is relatively trivial when you really break it down, it does mean something to be like, nope, I'm, I no longer will root for this team. I would do the same thing, though, with the Hawks. Like That is my number one team. But if something came out like, you know, same situation, if a Hawks player did this and the Hawks organization decided they were okay with it, yeah, I'm right there with you. No, no more. I'm not rooting for the Hawks. It's not happening. I'm not going to sacrifice my morals to arbitrarily root for this team playing a game if they thought it was so important that they can't keep their morals in check. And this is a real issue that, like we said before, it happens outside of sports. And I just want to say that if you or someone you know is uh, struggling or suffering through this or is a victim of this, there are resources that are available out there for you, like a domestic abuse hotline. The number for that is 1-800-799-SAFE. Again, 1-800-799-SAFE, just as one of the many resources that are available. For sure. So that wraps up um, our hot seat for this week. Like we said, definitely a little bit different from how we normally approach it, but both of these, uh, both the NBA fans acting out and this domestic violence case came up over the past couple weeks, and we felt like it was really important to talk about it because the more that these types of things get swept under the rug or ignored or not spoken about, then the more that they're probably going to continue. And... um whatever voice we have, we wanted to express that opinion and also obviously condemn any form of domestic violence and also any of the fans' um, behavior as well. Um, at the end of the day, we just we all want to just respect each other as human beings. It's what it comes down to. And um, as... For me, I'm going to continue to to try to live my life in that way. And I would hope that the teams and the players that I support would also live that way as well. So uh, we'll, we'll come back in a little bit and wrap up the show. All right. So we're going to go ahead and close out the show. I know we got into some more serious stuff, but it was stuff that we decided that we needed to talk about. And we're always going to talk about the things that we feel like we need to talk about in addition to the things that we want to talk about here. For sure. And whether those are serious topics or, you know, we also like to have fun on here as well and talk about random stuff, stuff that we think is funny, et cetera. So things that we feel like are important and either entertaining or informative or important discussion points. You know, we, we want this podcast to kind of be all of those things and just kind of show what we believe in and also just kind of bring people together and um, be able to have those conversations around sports, whether they're, whether they're serious or more lighthearted. On that note, want to continue to encourage you to reach out to us on social media so that we can hear your opinions. That's 
Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod. Want to shout out Tyler for contributing, posting his opinions after our last episode as it relates to the NBA playoffs. So just to give a quick tidbit, he provided three X factors for the playoffs, listing Jimmy Butler, Trey Young, and Derrick Rose. And all to really say about that, obviously, I also had Jimmy Butler. That didn't work out. Whoops. Trey Young balled out in his first playoff series of his career. Couldn't be happier about that. And Derrick Rose was the star for the Knicks because Julius Randle got shut down. R.J. Barrett was not producing. And when Derrick Rose was not playing well, the Knicks could not get anything going. So we'll give you two out of three. Yeah, it's not so bad there. Um, I mean, not not that we're comparing or anything, but I think there are some of us that may have gotten less than two for three. So anyway, moving on. Fair enough, but we do appreciate the contribution. Um, it's always good to have interaction. So again, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave Pod. Also, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening through. For sure, and if you've enjoyed listening to us so far, you know we're three episodes in. Um, so I guess it's okay for me to start asking for five star reviews if you do like listening to us and. Um, you learned something new or um, just kind of enjoyed listening to us talk about whatever we want to talk about. Um, we'd appreciate that just so we can hopefully get the show out to more people and, uh, and just kind of grow our little audience here. So yeah, we appreciate your support and listening in and we'll be back in a couple of weeks uh, with a new episode. So until then, this has been Dave. And this is Mike. And this is the Mike and Dave podcast.